Welcome to the latest episode of the Social Housing Retrofit Accelerator podcast, where we dive into the detail to support your domestic retrofit projects. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to this podcast, which is about Energy Sprong and Enerfit. I'm delighted to welcome uh, John Bootland uh, from the Passive House Trust and Emily Brown from Energy Sprong. And today we're going to have um, an exploration, I suppose, of some of the topics around retrofit standards and uh, the sorts of approaches that you might want to take with your retrofit strategy. So if I start off, Emily and uh, John, if you'd just like to introduce yourselves very briefly and explain what your organisations do, that would be great to set the context. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, Emily Brown, so uh, Energy Sprong UK, um, which is a, a market development team set up with the intention of uh, creating a net zero market in the UK and bringing the Energy Sprong model from the Netherlands into the UK to, to, to try and help that work. Excellent. And John, would you like to introduce yourself and the Passive House Trust? So thanks, Sarah. I'm John Bootland. I'm the CEO of the Passive House Trust. And we're the non-profit body that looks after the Passive House standard um, in the UK. Fantastic. Okay, so really what we'd like to do first of all is um, just have um, a bit of an exploration of, um, I suppose, the uh, Social Housing Decarbonisation Fund. So uh, it's an interesting point now that we've obviously got to the end of uh, the first wave of the Social Housing Decarbonisation Fund. And whilst it's not about whole house retrofit per se, we're wondering what your thoughts are about how um, people should be looking at future bidding opportunities and how you can sort of start planning your retrofit programme uh, with a whole house approach, even if you're you know, actually putting the um, sequences together differently. So, Emily, what are your thoughts about uh, sequencing retrofit? So I think that housing providers have got quite a difficult uh some difficult decisions to make here and I'm, I'm not sure there is any kind of one-size-fits-all for either a housing provider or a property. Um, the Energy Sprong model does a whole house retrofit at, at once and it does that because there are some advantages in doing it that way around the business case because you can bring forward investment and by doing that you can uh, drive for a self-financing model. Um, you can also get a performance guarantee of the whole performance of the property which means that you can share the savings that the tenant makes, again, to help that, that business case. Um, and by doing the whole house at once, you, you get to address the junctions and you get to make the property really, uh, you know, perform a bit better in terms of air tightness and you don't have the thermal bridging challenges. You can deal with the services all, in one, all at once and you only have to get access once as well. So when access is difficult, it can make more sense to go in and do it all at once. But social housing historically has invested incrementally and done things on a on a as needed basis so it can be a difficult justification to go and take out things like boilers that have just been done recently um, on top of that we've got the sort of new standards coming where boilers are going to become obsolete even now some of the flues for example are obsolete so you can't extend a flue so there are complications technically when you don't do everything at once um, I think we'd always typically say fabric first. It's really important to get the fabric right. And I think wave one is has been driving for sort of single measure fabric performance. Um, 
but I think if boilers are not going to be replaced in the next sort of five or ten years and people start putting heat pumps in, we do also need to think about the alternative approach where people are going to put heat pumps in before the fabric is improved. So I, I think that housing providers are going to have to understand all of those different approaches and try and work out which one fits uh, which property or which archetype or which neighbourhood um, and work out the best way and ensure that they've got the right technical advice to do that. Excellent. So, um, I mean, you covered a lot of ground there. So, John, have you got some points to add to that or have you got a slightly different approach? Yeah, so I think we take a slightly different approach with passive house. So you can do a whole house retrofit to the passive house standard, but um, that is you know, quite a significant body of work. Um, so we also develop a plan um, called a step-by-step -step retrofit. Uh, and that helps you work through um, what are the right options to take at any particular time. So if you do things in the wrong order and say you don't sort out your ventilation at the same time as you're making everything more airtight or improving the fabric, um, then there are risks that go with that. Um, so we do have a, a, an benefit step-by-step plan that, that can help you work that through. And I, and I, would, I would probably just say, I, I personally would recommend that everybody does a whole house plan, even if they're only doing a one step improvement um, it's best to have that plan to know where you're trying to get to um, and in what order even if it's not a passive house plan i would always encourage having that whole house plan in the background yeah absolutely and again really interesting points that um i think you're both making in terms of the fact that there you know there, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach but actually it is about taking that sort of strategic view um and and getting the right fit then for, for your own program um, so taking this on um, a step further then, um, we're frequently asked um, where asset managers can find exemplars for the past 2035 compliant retrofits. And, uh, you know, obviously it's the standard is fairly early in the market, but do you have any um, examples or, um, uh, you know, can you can you point people in the direction of any case studies that you think are particularly useful to judge? So, uh, John, if I go to you first. Yes, so we think that the uh, Passive House benefit projects will be compliant with past 2035 so you follow through a process that involves quality assurance um, that would take you to that endpoint um, as well and we have a number of case studies um, all available at the, the passive house trust website um, freely available so we have single family homes around the country um, and we have some um, larger blocks as well, up to and including um, you know, significant tower blocks in Portsmouth, in Glasgow, in London. Um, and quite often, actually, we, we try and get these to open up as well. So there are site visits that people can go on um, to open days during the summer and the winter. So they can go and see what these actually look like. So, yeah, so we, we have a number of um, uh, projects and case studies. Fantastic. Um, Emily, have you got some examples that you can draw upon? I think because PASS 2035 is, is a new standard, we don't have any that have been sort of signed off under the PASS 2035 requirements yet. And a lot of the projects that we're working on are still at the, the PASS 2035 assessment stage. We do, we see that there are, you know, it's, it's making some difference already in the industry, which is fantastic. And we did need that sort of industry wide improvement. Um, but I think, as John has sort of suggested with the Passive House standard, the energy sprung standard kind of goes beyond and above and beyond anyway in its requirements for performance monitoring, uh, you know, ongoing performance guarantees. So I think our existing projects 
you know, they are they are above and beyond in terms of some things like the performance, but in terms of the innovation side mm. of things, that's still something that's a bit of a a new thing for past 2035, and and I think it will be a kind of next level of development for it. Um, so again, we have case studies. People can come and see the uh, the example energy sprung projects that have been delivered. I think we're we're in a position at the moment as well where there are such a wide variety of different approaches that have have been made, and and, and as you say, there are different sort of strategies in place. Trying to um, align all of those at the moment, I think, is 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 one of the things that the market is calling out for. You know, how do we put together that sort of strategic approach to um, to retrofit? So we're very interested at the moment in um, pulling all of those ideas together, really. And it's certainly part of our plan uh, with the mobilisation phase and going into future waves of um, SHDF to kind of look at how those elements sit together. So thanks for those uh, examples there. There's another question that I think has been uh, quite an interesting one. Um, Emily, I know you've had some thoughts about it as well in terms of 90 kilowatts per metre squared as a... I guess the, the point about the standards is that the, the 90 kilowatt hours per metre squared heat demand that's come out as the sort of wave one target or, you know, sort of minimum performance... I think is is a bit lower than the energy sprung, which is 40 kilowatt hours as part of the performance outcome that's required. Not that that's like a, a sort of the only thing in energy sprung because it's about it being net zero and generating electricity as well as uh, as well as the heat demand. Um, and I'd be interesting to interested to see John's view on this as well because I think the uh, the Enerfit passive house standard is is better you know better performance again in terms of the thermal performance of the property. Um, but I think it's just an interesting thing for housing providers to consider is that that's kind of a step along the way rather than the kind of end goal target. Um, and that 90 kilowatt hours probably doesn't go far enough, particularly in certain property types, to really get to the point where you start to uh, have efficient heating at low temperatures like heat pumps. Um, so I just thought it might be quite an interesting discussion topic, I suppose, around, you know, what, what do we need to get to and, and what's the sort of longer term target? Is it the kind of 20, I think it's 25 kilowatt hours per meter square, is it for benefit or 40, which is for energy sprung? Um, or is it this kind of 90, which I think is, is where the government's currently at with wave one? And it'd be interesting to see what comes out of wave two and, and how people are treating that as to whether it is a step along the way. And I think with all of the current uh, news around energy prices and around, um, you know, what's going to happen next year with that in terms of people's energy prices going up by 30%, it's really the reason for these kind of high levels of energy performance and heat, heat consumption standards are in order to try and reduce those costs in many ways. And particularly when you're looking at social housing, that's really important for fuel poverty. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it'd be interesting to get John's view as well on that, around that sort of how does that 90 kilowatt hours sit with the, the you know, the NFIT standard? So um, I, I, I agree with what Emily said, actually, that um, it's just a first step. Uh, and if you do have this whole house plan of where you're trying to get to, um, whether that's 25 or 40 or 50, um, you know, just uh, that, that's the key bit is to have that that overarching framework of knowing where you're trying to get to. And then doing a step is, is a good thing Then any step along that way route is a good thing whether that takes you to 90 or from 90 to 70 it doesn't really matter um, but it's really important that we have this plan so that you can um, include not just the energy demand as, as um, Emily said but also um, you can think about the comfort of the occupants how it's going to affect the indoor air quality the potential moisture risks you know it picks up all of those things together um, rather than just thinking of this as the, the step 
you, you have to think about the whole house um, and how it's going to affect the occupants and the building fabric. Absolutely. And how prepared do you think um, the market is to actually think in those terms? Because, you know, there are actions that can be taken uh, which which are very energy and carbon related. But then when you start talking about, you know, putting in the layers like, um, you know, thermal comfort and and um, health and well-being, you know, do you think there's that understanding of the interrelationship between different interventions and how they might affect uh, those aspects, John? I wish I wish it were. Um... I don't know, Emily, how many projects you've got. We've got maybe a couple of hundred uh, passive house retrofits in the country. So, you know, there's not that many uh, have addressed all that, that broad whole house approach to a, to a deep retrofit yet. Um, but the, the, the knowledge is increasing very rapidly. I mean, the, the shift because of the uh, climate emergency declarations that people have made is just enormous. The, the market has just transformed in the last two years. So um, I think it will move very quickly. Um, there'll probably be a few missteps along the way, but it, it, you know, if we can keep that end goal of occupant comfort, fuel poverty, reducing energy demand all together in this holistic idea, um, then I, I think we, we, we can make big strides, actually. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you know, the, the sort of evaluation and monitoring that's required with PASS 2035 is a really good step and it's what we were doing anyway, but it's that, you know, actually asking the occupiers whether it's worked for them and whether it's comfortable, as well as then putting sensors in to test that. I think those things are really important, like real world evaluation is crucial and we mm -hmm. haven't done that in the past. Um, so I think any kind of steps towards that are going to be positive. Um, I think the other thing that we all need to think about in terms of this kind of steps along in the right direction is the, the cost impact of doing it in different ways. And so as we start to build up more of these retrofit projects, I think sharing that data out into the market around, um, around the different costs and around the different approaches, I think will be really helpful. Some of the examples that we've got on projects recently are, you know, roofs are having to be redone, even though they've been done in the last 10 years, because the eaves weren't extended sufficiently for external wall insulation. And those are the, the sort of basics or, you know, you have to take gas pipes and a gas meter off the wall and put it back on only to then take it off again in two years time when you replace it with a heat pump actually does it make sense to do it in that way or not? And that sort of data, I think, is really important for us to share. Yeah, and I, I suppose um, obviously you've got two levels here. You've got the, the asset manager's perspective in terms of the housing and, and the occupants. But are you finding that in terms of... Yeah, I think I think generally people are really um, keen to see their homes improved. I think, uh, you know, the, the energy sprung model is around making desirable homes. So they are comfortable and they're warm and they are aesthetically pleasing as well. And I think there's been a long... Um, history of recognition that actually when you do energy efficiency projects it can have a really big impact on the appearance of a neighbourhood for example and also crime rates can reduce because you've got better windows and things like that so um, so generally it's very welcome and I think where people are concerned about disruption we've got a current project in Nottingham um, the current phase of the energy sprung rollout in Nottingham where tenants who refused to work initially are now seeing the work happening, seeing how quickly it's happening. So they're seeing that these three bungalows have been insulated in a day and they're saying, actually, I really wish I'd signed up for that. Is there any way I can have it done now? Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's just that, um, you know, seeing show homes, seeing work happen, talking to occupiers who've already had it, hearing good news stories. I think those things all encourage people to sign up as well. 
Brilliant. Yeah. And that's what we need, isn't it? And and also just to get those awareness levels up, because I think there's still, um, you know, a lot that needs to be done in terms of just making people really understand what energy efficiency means. And, um, you know, not not only the um, interventions that can be done on their homes, but how they can occupy their homes in a different way as well, I suppose. Fantastic. Well, we've covered an awful lot of ground there. So thank you so much. Before we um, sort of finalise, uh, John, what would be your sort of your closing words of wisdom uh, in terms of how you'd like, I suppose, asset managers to sort of approach the whole topic of their retrofit programming? Oh, planning. More planning and more planning. Just um, get the thinking right about your whole estate and how it fits in with your asset management plans um, and then develop these whole house plans um, accordingly so that you can deliver that over many years. But um, yeah, and, and also have a go. So if we can get some feedback from a number of trials at different levels, you know, Energy Sprung were very supportive, Passive House Enerfit as well, um, but also intermediate steps towards that, you know, just, just have a go and, and share the information, the feedback, the costs and the, 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 the results so that everybody can learn faster to how, to, how we can make this happen faster. Fantastic. And Emily, what are your final words of wisdom? I really echo the sharing. I think we all need to do that more and be really open about about this. We've all got to learn together, and uh, you know, there's 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 so many homes to go at. This shouldn't be as much of a competition as it is. We should be sharing much more. And I think um, for housing asset managers to think longer term. So think about your thirty year plan because actually in 30 years it's going to have passed 2050 and we're all going to have to have these net zero homes so actually you really need to think long term and then once you do that you'll start to work out which is the right approach for which property based on where you are in your investment on those properties yeah fantastic words of wisdom there well done guys thank you very very much indeed look forward to um future opportunities to discuss your standards and and how we can sort of take those forward in the market as well so thank you so much for joining us today it's fantastic thanks sarah Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Social Housing Retrofit Accelerator podcast. To receive the latest episodes, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or sign up to the SHRA newsletter. Check out socialhousingretrofit.org.uk for more information, events and news. I was your host, Sarah Daly. Thank you.